the booksmith at your local bookstore from down the street. Um, this is kind of an experiment for us. We have um, books all on a timeline. We're doing events, not just our reading events, but also movie nights, uh, comedy shows, theater performances, all that kind of stuff. Uh, tonight we're thrilled to host Ravi Chandra for his new book, Ravi Chandra, MD, is a psychiatrist and writer in San Francisco. He is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, and Face Buddha is his non-fiction debut. He blogs regularly for Psychology Today and for the Senator, or Center for Asian American Media. His ebook, Asian American Anger, is available for free download. With him in conversation is Bernice Yearn. Bernice Yearn, an award-winning journalist for the Center of Investigative Reporting. She has a two, or was a 2015-2016 Knight Wallace Fellow at the University of Michigan. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Mother Jones, and The Guardian, as well as broadcast outlets, uh, public radio, PBS. Robbie and Bernice will talk about the book and take some audience questions afterwards. And feel, please feel free to come get a drink or water anytime you need. My name's Jess, Honest, up at the front. If you guys have any questions, just let us know. And let's give it up for Robbie and Bernice. Thank you all so much for coming out. Thank you, Bernice, for uh, agreeing to do this. No, this is really exciting. I was just reflecting on uh, Ravi and how it's amazing because we know each other in real life. Primarily. <laughs> IRL. <laughs> IRL. Um, so, you know, we know each other through the Asian American community here, through CAMFest, the Center for Asian American Media, through the Printing Street Workshop, through mutual friends. And, and, and so it's, it's really great to be here to talk to you about your new book and how you're kind of walking that tightrope between social media and, um, and IRL. <laughs> right, exactly. So I wanted to know, first of all, of course, why did you write this book? What was the motivation? What was the tipping point? Okay, well, um, so uh, I started writing the book in 2012, uh, but uh, the instigation, uh, or the, inc the, the incident that started this ball rolling what happened during uh, a five-month sabbatical to Asia in 2007. Halfway through that, I met a woman we had a, uh, in, a, uh, in Hanoi uh, at a party, and we had a three-hour-long, very deep, very warm conversation. And at the end of it, she said, are you on Facebook? And I, I responded, what's that? Uh, because I, I really didn't know. People had sent me invites before, but I really didn't uh, know what it was. Um, so anyway, she got me onto Facebook, and, uh, and so that began my, my, uh, my journey when I came home, was uh, my online journey uh, started. Um, and then so by, by about 2012, I had had these positive experiences on Facebook, uh, particularly around the season of Lynn Sanity in February of 2012, a very positive connecting event for the Asian American community. But I also emerged from my times on Facebook feeling kind of disoriented and not really sure where the time went and really curious uh, about what was happening to my mind and heart as I was on Facebook. So that's when I started to explore, to look at psychological research, and to use my Buddhist practice to also investigate. So I'm interested also in, in kind of how um, Asian American community fits into um, your book and your exploration of social media. Yeah, well, I think uh, uh, you know, uh, my, most of my events and, and uh, community is the Asian American community. 
So I think, I think we really did kind of uh, have this migration online. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think you know, so much positive has happened uh, online because of those connections, people sharing articles. Some of my you know, the blog posts that I wrote, uh, for example, about Katy Perry back in 2011 or something, uh, you know, when she put on that geisha costume, that really gained so much traction because of social media. So we've, we've had this uh, uh, powerful uh, influence on our psyches um, uh, because of the ability to connect across geographic distances. Um, and so I've met people uh, who I didn't, you know, uh, wasn't really particularly close to. But I also noticed that in my real world community, when I would see them in real life at the film festival or other events, we would, especially at that time, always end up talking about Facebook. So that was this curious thing, oh, did you see what went around on Facebook? Or uh, I'll see you on Facebook. You know, so it became part of uh, the lingo and part of this assumption that we were all going to really connect there. And so there was almost a kind of a sense of uh, a warm hope. And one one uh, uh, Asian American friend said, uh, oh, I don't, I told her, I said, oh, I don't see you very often in the real world. She said, oh, but I'll see you on Facebook. Facebook is the glue. You know, so that's the kind of aura that uh, Facebook and social media had, especially at that time. When did you start to feel a little bit more skeptical or when did you start to question um, whether Facebook was actually creating community groups? Yeah, I think it was uh, especially beginning uh, in 2012 um, uh, when I would notice, like, I was dissatisfied. And, you know, I found out, uh, or I kind of discovered that probably the, the biggest source of dissatisfaction is social comparison. So I kind of see everybody having their happy times and, and, uh, and then, you know, would feel dissatisfied uh, or, you know, uh, you know, I think what's common, and it was common for me at the time, is I'd see some posts get a lot of likes or something, and then I, you know, kind of say, oh, I wonder why I'm not, you know, getting liked, etc. And so, so there was that bit of social comparison. But I think really it hit home uh, when it came down to political discussions, because I, I would feel, I felt that um, that things got really polarized, and it became really hard to talk to people, even if you had a slightly different point of view. It was hard. And um, so that was dissatisfying. And the other piece that was dissatisfying for me was that you know uh, I think you know just scrolling past everybody's updates was inherently dissatisfying because I always felt like I want to interact with this person, I want to you know like or comment or something, but you really can't. And so I was left with this uh, feeling like I hadn't really connected. And so that was a dissatisfying piece as well. Do you feel because I think everybody who's been on Facebook recognizes that sense, that sense of dissatisfaction that you're describing, especially around political discourse. Do you feel like the people that you actually know better in real life, uh, your responses are different um, than to those who you know a little bit less well or more kind of social acquaintances? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think um, you know, I have, you know, my, my friend circle is very politically active and politically conscious, um, but, uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think um, uh, when, we, when we have these conversations online, it becomes hard to like uh, just validate all points of the circle, so to speak. And which is something that would happen in person if you met. You'd, even one person talking about it might, might have different perspectives on a particular issue. And you would kind of 
connect on all of those different perspectives, with a broad spectrum uh, of perspectives on that. Um, but online, it just became, you know, especially with people you don't know, um, yeah, thing, uh, uh, a point, of, and, and I certainly had friends who disagreed, uh, who was, were not kind of in my direct friend circle, but uh, people who disagreed with me or would post, you know, uh, opposition or whatever, and then it was just hard to, to make that up, and that resulted in defriendings or something like that, so, yeah. Right, but at the same time, your book also addresses kind of embracing the awkwardness of relationships and how that's part of a crucial, that's a crucial element of a meaningful relationship. So right. so why does it work in real life and not on Facebook? Well, I, I think it's hard to work in real life too. I mean, that's what makes it so challenging. That's why people you know, revert to their phones instead of striking up a conversation with a stranger that's standing next to them or something like that. Or um, So I think it's hard in general. It just becomes kind of the easiest thing to do to, uh, to plan your communication online, plan your comments, and you know, always have that funny repartee going, because you can think about it. You know, it's like you think of it an hour later, you think of the perfect thing to say, and then you say it. So that's much more comfortable, rather than being with somebody and maybe not knowing what to say and just making it up as you go along. Um, so I think it's hard in real life, too. What is it about Facebook in particular that, that makes it even harder? Um, well, I think people just uh, tend to avoid awkward situations. They want to, this, this pull is to like be on point and to say something that's going to grab somebody's attention and, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, uh, is to be right. You know, you have to be right and, and righteous. You can't be uncertain or ambivalent generally. I mean, that stuff doesn't really get shared as much. So, um, but I think we're, we're all, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a lot of ambivalence. And that's awkward too. And so I think that's, that's harder. Maybe some people are better at kind of transmitting that ambivalence online. Uh, but uh, but I, 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 I had that, I had a hard time with that. So tell us more about what your Buddhist practice has taught you about how to be a good Facebook citizen. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I think the practice, as you know, since you've read the book, is that uh, I ended up deactivating my account uh, about two and a half years ago, and I just recently reactivated uh, just to uh, kind of uh, promote my book, really. I, 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 I do have to know that it was, it was a very ironic to get to the point in the book at the end where you deactivated your account, and then I realized I was getting the invite up on the event right, on Facebook. Right, right, right. So, so that's, you know, so unfortunately I guess you can't escape. But uh, um, uh, I guess my Buddhist practice is uh, about mindfulness and compassion, so I'm really interested in what's happening to my mind in different situations, and what, where does that, uh, that intention for compassion, where does that uh, go and where does it fall short online? And I think those were both distracted. I noticed you know, uh, difficult things happening with my mind online, and I always felt like I couldn't really uh, uh, be fully compassionate, which I think ultimately requires a relationship, uh, a face-to-face -face relationship to really transmit empathy and uh, connection. Um, so that's what I noticed. Um, uh, and, and you know, I mean, it was great. I, you know, uh, you know, it was great. You know, I, I certainly have gotten some positive, uh, you know, uh, feedback and, and warmth from being back on Facebook about my event. But I've really tried to avoid the news feed almost entirely because I think. That's where I, I really get most frustrated. Um, yeah. 
there's a great moment in the book where you're talking about um, a, let me just check my notes here, it's a, a Buddhist version of Facebook. So if you could redesign Facebook and make it a Buddhist version, what would you do to it? Right, so uh, right now we have the like and the reaction buttons, the love and the fear and the anger, all, the, all those you know, strange reactions, emotional reactions. But I thought uh, that uh, if you were to redesign Facebook, um, you could have four buttons. And these are related to the uh, Brahma Viharas, or the divine abodes, or the, the, uh, the states of mind uh, that the Buddha advised uh, uh, people to cultivate, to bring oneness with the other. And that's uh, uh, loving kindness, or friendliness, compassion, uh, 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 karuna, or compassion, uh, and uh, 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 upeka, or acceptance, uh, and, or equanimity, even-mindedness, and also um, uh, mudita, or joy, in, in another person's happiness. Um, so so I, I felt like these were uh, kind, of more, kind of more involved emotions um, that, that might help us remind us of our connection without uh, getting into a sense of comparison, or hopefully, you know, less of a sense of comparison. What do you think, and maybe there's some overlap here, but what do you think your, psycho uh, your practice in um, psychiatry has, yes. has taught you about how to use Facebook? Well, um, I think, you know, uh, I think everybody uh, has to make a conscious adaptation to it. Because if you get sucked into the passive flow of things, then you can wind up, uh, you know, doing things which are, uh, difficult psychologically, and I think that all builds up over time. It kind of erodes your sense of connection and your sense of self, even. Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, so I think, uh, I think it's, it's really, uh, hopefully after you read my book, you'll kind of understand all the psychological problems and pitfalls that can come about, and uh, you can uh, have more information to make a conscious adaptation. I mean, I think even I had a conversation recently with a, a young uh, psych psychiatric resident who basically was very enthusiastic about Facebook. Oh, I, I can see all these events and I can know what's going on and, and if I were off Facebook, then I would, I would worry about missing out or I would be missing out. Um, but then when I kind of talked to him more, um, he actually said, oh, well, you know, there are times where I'm ambivalent, when I'm, you know, it's like late at night and I'm just coming home and I'm tired and Facebook requires no energy. So I just log on and I scroll, and I just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and pretty soon 45 minutes have gone, and I wonder where did the time go? So, I mean, so I think that, that that's what I'm trying to get at, is those ambivalent states, I mean, you're putting, people are putting in an hour to two hours a day on social media, where's it getting us? What was also very interesting about your book was um, all of the afflictions I feel when using social media and Facebook, you know, the the jealousy, the, the despair, all of those emotions, it seems like they, they affect many people in the same way. And I'm, what, kind of, what, what suggestions do you have for all of us, you know, having thought deeply about this in both a Buddhist context and a, in terms of your, your um, professional practice, about what can we do as users of this medium to avoid some of these more negative elements and, uh, well, I think um, the idea from a psychological or Buddhist perspective is to become more aware of what's going on in your own mind and then use that to put a spotlight on yourself. Oh, if I'm feeling 
envious of this person. What, why is that? What do they have that I admire about them? Um, so it could be a, 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 a tool for growth. It's like, okay, I admire that they're involved in these activities or that they're very social or something um, and try to cultivate those within oneself. So, um, so that can be, you know, uh, that can be a, 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 a spur for personal growth. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but just to notice, I think that's the mindfulness aspect, just to notice and investigate with kindness, okay, what, why am I feeling this way? And some people may say, oh, everything's fine, you know. Uh, I'm happy with my Facebook use. Uh, but I think as I talk to more and more people, people have really, uh, 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 people really do need to make these adaptations. I talked to one teenager who said, uh, oh, I don't know anyone of my teenage friends who actually looks at the news feed anymore. You know, um, I had another uh, patient of mine who, who said that, well, I basically hide everyone so none of their posts show up on my news feed. So that's interesting. So, um, so obviously something was uh, impacting this person. So, uh, you know, it, so just to notice and then take a countermeasure. Maybe it is deactivating Facebook. Maybe it's hiding all of your friends. Maybe it's uh, uh, not looking at the news feed. Uh, maybe it's uh, subscribing only to news sources. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think those are all, uh, you know, ways to resist just going along passively. So apparently the world didn't end when you got off of Facebook. No, no. I felt happier. I felt like the world kind of opened in many ways. I just enjoyed so much. And uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't bored for a moment. I didn't miss out on any events as far as I know. I mean, I, I think, you know, so there, you know, if, you, if you're on enough email lists, you'll, you'll get plenty of events anyway. So, um, so yeah, I felt much happier. You did, you actively felt happier. Yes, absolutely. What's it yeah. like to be back on Facebook then? Uh, you know, I think, luckily, I think I've, I've, I've put up my own wall in, internally about not really looking at the news feed. Uh, um, but actually, in my experience, uh, there's, there's now a three, two studies uh, about that, one of, one of which actually uh, was uh, about uh, measuring people's uh, uh, happiness and satisfaction, life satisfaction. Uh, and uh, the, the, the experimental group that had deactivated Facebook had uh, a, a, a statistically significant rise in their happiness after deactivating. So, I mean, and there's other studies which uh, over five years or so, which they studied thousands of people, which showed a causal effect. The more time you spent on Facebook, uh, the, uh, well, I mean, this is a correlation, but there, there are other causative studies. Uh, the more time you spent on Facebook uh, led to decreased mental health, Decreased life satisfaction, etc. So, so it could it could be uh, uh, eroding something, um, and it's just good to be aware of that that possibility. I think. Yeah. So Mark Zuckerberg calls you and he's he's Ravi, why are you hating on my product? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you? I mean, so are you yeah. anti Facebook? Uh, I think uh, uh, you know nothing is all good or all bad. You know, to, to avoid you know, I talked about polarization of opinions or you know, feeling I need to be right. No, I mean, maybe somebody has better ways to use Facebook and that's great for them. So it's not all bad. But I would say that uh, we've trusted a, uh, uh, someone who was a college student 
to define how we're going to relate for the rest of our lives. Now, there's, there's something inherently you know, wrong with it. I didn't know all about relationships when I was that age. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, I think that you know, he's, his high-minded purpose is to connect the world through Facebook and make the world a better place by connecting online. And I think that's a fundamental error um, because I don't think that online connection is going to make us better as individuals or is going to really connect us, except maybe in some brief uh, kind of circumstantial or goal-oriented ways. But I think the deeper connection comes from face-to-face -face relationships. And, and you know, I think one of the reasons I held on to Facebook for so long was because I felt like it could make a political difference. Um, you know, these causes which I care about, racism, sexism, homophobia, we can really get our voices out there and make a difference. And yes, that's true to a certain extent. But I think also all these uh, 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 problems come down to a failure of empathy and a failure of relationship. So how can you really feel like you're uh, uh, truly transcending uh, these problems unless you're in deeper relationship? And so I think that's where we can uh, put, our, put our weight on, or lean our ladder against the wrong wall if we depend on Facebook. As I was reading your book, it, it occurred to me that part of the, the trouble with social media and Facebook in particular is that there's uh, we're not giving each other the benefit of the doubt, really, because we don't have enough of a relationship in that format to actually have gained very much confidence um, and, and, and to believe that the other person has credibility. And so we're just kind of shooting stuff up on our, on our Facebook feed, and other people are, and, and it's just they're like, uh, I don't know, they're just going out into the ether and then they, they capture some people's attention, it riles them up in certain ways, good right. or bad, and, right. and, and that's where that emptiness kind of, that frustration comes from. How, yeah. how can we inject more of this, um, you know, um, giving people the benefit of the doubt in, in a space like Facebook? That's a good question. I, I don't know, I think it, it requires uh, uh, evolution of our consciousnesses, really, uh, to go beyond attachment to our opinions, for example, uh, maybe attachment to our emotional sense of righteousness, um, to give people space to be, uh, as I talked about in, in the closing of my book, to have more of a space of curiosity and understanding. Oh, somebody has a different opinion. Can I be curious about that? Can I try to understand that? Uh, can I ask questions rather than saying, you're wrong? You know, uh, which is kind of the, the way, and it's why, uh, why we're in the situation politically we're in. We've, we've just divided into those tribal loyalties. And I think, it, I think we have to, you know, something else has to happen consciousness-wise for us to really do that. And um, um, I mean, some people have tried, you know, uh, Wail Gonim, uh, the, the, the guy who kind of started the Facebook revolution in Egypt, um, he's, uh, he actually evolved away from Facebook and he uh, started a, a project which has been absorbed by Quora, uh, which was to have kind of moderated discussions. So maybe that's helpful, um, but I haven't logged on to that. I don't know what's going on there. Um, uh, I mean, maybe you know, moderated discussions can be helpful. I know, um, uh, you know some people uh, really feel a sense of connection from those, um, but uh, um, I think we're still in the early stages of uh, adapting to this you know, incredibly transformative event that's happened, um, uh, which, you know, hopefully we can 
uh, gain wisdom about how to use it, well, or if to use it. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because you have access to people of um, various age ranges through your um, practice, and so I'm curious about um, your observations among those who are kind of the, the social media natives versus those of us who have had to kind of grow in and learn how to use the technology. Are you seeing any overarching trends or, or things of note based on generation? Yeah, well, um, I think that just what, from what I've read and from what I've observed, um, you know, I think the problems can happen at any age, but uh, the generation born after 1995 that's really grown up with these digital native folks, I mean, overall, that group, that uh, iGen, as it's called, has more depression, anxiety, loneliness, suicidality. So um, these are problems. They're also very adept at using technology uh, as well, and creating videos on the spur of the moment, and doing all these things. Um, but I think the, the problems uh, uh, can happen at any age group. Does that answer your question? Or, yeah, I mean, um, I think, um, uh, 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 you know, I think I've, uh, I, I think every, oh, you know, my patient's group is a fairly, you know, select group. I mean, they, they, I mean, I think every age group has reported, oh, I had problems with these relationships because of social media. Um, in, but actually, on the positive side, um, you know, or, or you know, somewhat positive side uh, in many ways. I mean, the Me Too campaign has been really positive, I think, socially. Um, but my patients come to me with more ambivalent statements about it. Well, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable uh, sharing this information in a public space. Or I had one patient who was very triggered by it, had nightmares uh, because of reading the feed and talking to, you know, talk, hearing about it. Um, so, I mean, I think, so these are the ways where something that can look good from a mass movement perspective uh, can have individual effects which have to be brought into relationship. So that's the ultimate kind of bottom line. It's like, whatever is happening online, how do you bring it into relationship and connect and really feel soothed? I think we can only be soothed by compassion and empathy rather than what we might experience online, which might feel good uh, people, for example, with low self-esteem uh, uh, tend to feel dissatisfied by the responses that they get on Facebook uh, when they ask for support. They tend to feel like they're a burden. So I mean, this is you know, so this is uh, you know, this is something that as clinicians we have to be aware of as well. That people may be looking for support online, but may emerge from that feeling dissatisfied. There is also a, um, a really interesting point that you made in the book about uh, technology being a tool. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that because I think it's a really interesting point that, that gets at kind of the duality of, of uh, social media and Facebook. Yeah, so that's what people say. Oh, social media is here to stay. And social media, social media is neither good nor bad, it's a tool. And I say it's both good and bad, and we have to be aware of it. But, uh, but what I kind of spouted back to my friend who said, it's just a tool. Um, I said, well, so is a screwdriver, but you wouldn't use it to change a light bulb. Um, so if you're trying to get close and connected and to have empathy and compassion for somebody, um, you're, you might be using the wrong tool. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask a couple questions about your process, kind of shift gears a little bit and ask about your process in, in writing this book. Oh, okay. Um, I was really fascinated by the way it was, uh, you know, a lot of um, your observations about Facebook and um, Buddhism 
were also interspersed with um, memoir. And I wanted to learn a little bit about why you made that decision or how, what the thinking was um, in combining those two, those two things. Yeah, so I, uh, good question. Um, I think it's, it's just uh, a way of uh, trying to come to terms with uh, identity and like, who am I? What's my history? What makes me me? Uh, and uh, uh, how do these different environments affect me? How do my, you know, I have difficult, sometimes uh, you know, I have a difficult trip to India with some complicated family relationships and that's in the book. And so I, I didn't want to portray it as this, um, this, uh, this dichotomy where you know, the online world was all bad and the real world was all good or something. Um, it's not like that, it's much more ambivalent. So I wanted to explore uh, all of that ambivalence, but, but just get at kind of the rewarding aspect, uh, what I found in the real world. So that happened as memoir. And you know, kind of also um, uh, just uh, kind of the spiritual exploration just kind of happened uh, as I was writing this book. And so I included it uh, uh, just as, again, to highlight uh, my kind of sense of what what is the mind, what is the reactivity of the mind, um, can, we, uh, can we kind of uh, unhook from the reactivity of the mind uh, to find something deeper and, and kind of describe how to, how that happened as well. Yeah. Was there what was the moment in which you realized, oh, I have to write a book about this? That I have the material, I've, I've, I've had so many thoughts about this that this is you know it's time to put pen and paper. Um, Probably when I got the title, <laughs> you know, the pun, you know, Facebook, Facebook, I said, oh, that'd make a great book. And so, you know, so I just started, you know, and started, you know, writing and I didn't really know where it would end up. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of unfolded from that. I was actually writing at the time I started this book, I was writing a memoir about my uh, travel through Asia. And, uh, and, you know, then Facebook happened and totally interrupted that. I was, 120,000 words into that travel memoir. So maybe I'll return to that eventually. I wanted to invite questions, you know, whenever anyone's ready with a question, please do. Terrific discussion, you two. Thank you very much. And uh, I uh, have, uh, I'm a Facebook virgin and resolutely resisting joining in spite of the threats and treaties uh, from friends and from relatives all over the country. What am I missing? Uh, <laughs> by, I, I mean, I always insist to them, look, uh, this it's like a, looking at a community bulletin board. That, that, I'm not interested in that kind of relationship with you. Uh, if we have a relationship, I want real contact. And I say this to my young relatives mainly. The older relatives understand. Um, what am I missing? What uh, am I going to be experiencing a deprivation of a particular kind? And the other thing I'm thinking is that this technology seems to contribute greatly to this kind of automatic polarization one has at dinner parties and political discussions across the spectrum, right and left. I mean, it's such simplistic kind of knee-jerk responses uh, rather than of the appreciation of the complexity of real people that you're talking about. But what am I missing? Well, um, I don't know. We could probably both say, I mean, you know, I think probably what people most often say to me is like, I love the way I can connect with my family, which is spread 
out over the world, or my friend group, which is spread out all over the world. So that's, that's one thing. Um, other people might say, oh, well, I really get informed uh, by my friend circle in some way about a particular news topic. I might you know, get uh, a, 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 a blog post that, uh, that I would have never found on my own. Uh, I'm still lightly on Twitter, and I use the search feature to when something newsworthy is going on to kind of get a sense of the national mood uh, and also find some articles which I might not have otherwise read. So, you know, it doesn't, but it doesn't feel as uh, invasive, and I don't feel as attached uh, to a news feed, or you know, I don't scroll the Twitter news feed uh, uh, you know, all day or something. What you know, I might do on Facebook. I mean, people check Facebook every you know, two times an hour or something all day. So, but, but the geographical thing, I think, is, is probably the most, um, yeah. Having a sense of connection with more distant people that you like. And you right, you know, grandparents seeing news of their grandchildren, for example. So I think, yeah, sure, you know, that's, I can, I can if it works for you, that's great. But there's still email. We can still email each other yeah. and, you know. Um, I stay plenty yeah. busy. What's that? that? So who checks their email? Who checks their email? You can text them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, you know, the, the part of the book, again, about the tool was really a really useful construct for me, actually. Uh, I've been starting to think about how I can provide the usefulness of Facebook is going to be different for each person. So now I'm trying to think about how is Facebook a useful tool for me? In what ways can I exploit it, frankly, for my benefit? And so there are certain things that I do find it useful for, keeping in touch with people that I might not otherwise keep in touch with. Um, as a reporter, we do rely on it quite a bit in terms of disseminating our stories, um, events, things like that, and, and, and also getting in touch with people through the kind of the private messaging app uh, with people that I don't have their email, for example. So there are uses, use cases that are very um, powerful. Um, and so now I'm thinking about, okay, how can, I, how can I start to play within that platform so that I get the best out of it and not the noise and, right. and the right. anxiety and, right. Right. <laughs> and well. every, everything else that can come with using Facebook. Well, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, uh, real yeah, yeah. Real mm -hmm. yes. Okay, um, I haven't uh, you know, read it yet, but uh, I know you maybe like a uh, or six years, you know, as a colleague, and uh, also very much respected friend, you know, <laughs> anyway, um, how do you connect uh, sort of like uh, transcultural issues, uh, cultural issues? I mean, like you were born in America. In right? India. I was born in oh, India. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Came when I was a year and a half old. Oh, so, so. Yeah. Well, uh, American growing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think India. Japan, but I was raised in Japan, and 
Well, that's interesting because that, uh, I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but uh, in my closing chapters, I, 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 taught, I use a model of uh, cross-cultural immigration or transcultural immigration as we're, uh, to uh, this, uh, this era where we're migrating online. And so I think we do go through the stages of culture shock, which is uh, first exuberance or excitement about the new place. And then problems come up and develop ambivalence. And then we finally develop some, some kind of uh, adaptation. And then we may go through the cycle again. And so that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that's so this is, this, is, this is how I parallel the immigration story or whatever uh, to, to the Facebook story, the social media story. So it's, no, it's so culture. yeah, it's like a new culture that's all of a sudden we're surrounded by it. That's Louise? I, I certainly share this ache of things changing, uh, and perhaps uh, for, for the, you know, uh, perhaps uh, unstoppingly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I do kind of talk about this, uh, this sense of, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know we, we're at the low point of trust in this country. Only 19% of millennials say they, that people are generally to be trusted. And that's scary. Uh, if you don't trust people, then will you invest in government? Will you invest in schools? I mean, what what do you end up doing? I mean, that's that's a point. Well, how do you relate? Um, we also have dropped in uh, the number of confidants uh, from over the last thirty years from three to two. So I think we we have uh, and we already have a much more individualistic society. Um, so all of this, I think, has uh, the more they call it the epidemic of loneliness. Um, and so this is what we're facing now. And, and what does that mean for our, our civic engagement has also declined substantially from 30 years ago. Uh, uh, kind of attendance at 
uh, community events or uh, uh, voting has gone down. Uh, uh, you know, if you want to use uh, an older school example, the Elks and, and uh, the Lodges and so forth, the, the Rotary Club, all these things have gone down substantially. So when, you know, when that infrastructure has been eroded so much, and instead we're, I think we're, you're right, we're, we're trying to patch it with social media, and maybe you know, the online groups, et cetera, will find a measure of this, but I mean, for me, it's like, you know, how, where does the rubber meet the road? Where do we really uh, find that sense of, uh, of community and belonging, uh, which we, I think we, we crave as human beings. Um, and I, I think, you know, you know the Russians, uh, sounds like they exploited it. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, break down trust. Well, our trust was already low. And let's, in this, in this uh, era of low trust, how can we polarize people even further? They actually spent money to, uh, to have people, different groups, you know, engage in fights. They funded both groups and they ended up in a fight, you know. I mean, so this is, this is where we're at in our, sense of, in our sense of understanding who other human beings are. You know, it's like you're no longer another human being. You're a Democrat or a Republican. You know, it, it's, it, it's just, it's become that way. And so, yeah, I think it's very dangerous. Identity politics. I, well, identity in, in the worst possible way, which is, yeah, I mean, not an affirmation, but a devaluation of everything else. Um, so that, I think that's the kind of the worst case scenario. I think it's great to, you know, to be confident and affirm your identity, but when it comes at the cost of uh, devaluing others who are not like you, then, then that's the problem. But, but Identity, it will become sort of over the culture. Right. You know, well, that's the transcendence. Right. Yeah. I've heard trans culture. Right. The mm -hmm. same thing, you know. So you can get in and get out, and you can get into another one, and then get out, and then still you can keep yourself, right? Right, right. And yeah, where is, you know, yeah. So, are we? Yeah. Ah, I was curious about, and I, I'm looking forward to reading the book, okay. um, but I um, haven't read it yet, so I wasn't sure. You, you focus on Facebook, and I was just curious about how you feel Facebook stands compared to other social media, if you might have time to talk about its relative advantages, disadvantages, or you know, benefits and problems compared to other social media. And are there, I, I also have a sense that I hear that in different generations, Facebook, uh, Facebook, I keep wanting to call it Facebook, sorry, Facebook has had its time, and they, there are people I meet who are in their 20s or who are teenagers who've never gone on it, who are not interested because it's seen as a middle-aged grandmother thing. Um, so I'm just curious, what's the next, I suspect, mm -hmm. terrible thing that is lurking on the horizon for us? Also know more about that, but, yeah, so just uh, like, but I mean, Facebook is still the biggest. I mean, 1.8 billion users and growing, uh, 1.2 billion daily users. Uh, so it's it's the it's the you know the the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex or the Brontosaurus or right? so whatever. It's the biggest uh, thing on the planet uh, right now, bigger than the Catholic Church. Uh, I call it the new religion of social media, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, up and covers, you know, Snapchat and, and uh, Instagram. Instagram is very popular amongst young people. 
but it also has problems. And so, you know, so this is uh, uh, this is the question. Yeah, I think each I call each of these settings uh, when we enter them a bardo or a, a realm, a transitional realm where you change somehow. So how does it, bardo? This comes from the Tibetan word uh, uh, meaning a transitional state. And so how do we? What gets activated in this transitional state? Um, so I think each of them, maybe, maybe I'll have to write uh, a book about each of them. Uh, no. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've been down that rabbit hole once. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of what com what's coming next, I, I mean, nobody's nipping at Facebook's heels, so to speak, as far as I know, uh, uh, in terms of uh, popularity. But, you know, yes, amongst the younger group, Snapchat and uh, really popular, uh, and also uh, you know, there are all sorts of little little ones like Path and Couple and you know, all these for smaller groups of people. But you know, on the other side, there's uh, the anonymous messaging app Yik Yak folded earlier this year. So it's I don't think it's in the cards that all of these things are going to last forever. Uh, I think there are reasons that they could they could uh, fall flat. So. What did you say to Mark Zuckerberg? Oh, what did I say to, oh, I didn't, did I not answer that? Yeah, I think I would, first I would thank him for trying to connect people, but I think the, the thing is, you say you're trying to connect people, but I feel your, your you know, your, your device uh, your, uh, does not, uh, does, uh, does not provide that, and that you actually might be more of a disconnecting influence. And he's getting called in front of Congress to testify about that, you know, you know his people are, are because of the Russian scandal, as a disconnecting influence, it was very clear in the last election. I said, you know, it's like um, uh, uh, maybe they can fix that with algorithms, or maybe not. Maybe that's who we are as human beings. We're more prone to these threats which appear on our screen, and uh, that takes us to a uh, kind of a more uh, uh, primitive level. Uh, and so, so. Is Facebook a race to the bottom of the brainstem? Do we need to get off Facebook in order to develop our left prefrontal cortex, our higher brain, our you know our consciousness and enlightenment itself? I mean, you know, that's what I'm trying to find out. Did he respond? Did oh, I didn't say it to him. I, I wish I could no. say it to him. Yeah, but uh, but he hasn't he hasn't been uh, talking to me. <laughs> and you may not know this, um, I don't expect you to know everything about Facebook, but I was just curious if there have been any cultures or countries that are um, you know, resistant to Facebook in a good way, right? who have just not been attracted to Facebook. Do you, do you happen to know of any places where they're so happy they don't need Facebook? Well, China doesn't allow it, Yeah, right? but that's the <laughs> so, other way. <laughs> by decree. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, the thing is we're, we're all sort of, I think we have the choice. A lot of people could be attracted. Oh, this is, it seems fun. I was attracted to it. It's fun and interesting. So I think 70% of adults in the U.S. are on it. Um, so I think it's very attractive, which is why I think it, 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 it's important to have that, uh, that counter Wonderful. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question. If there's one more question out there, more? otherwise, I'll take the final. Order. All right. Yeah. Do you think that we're? Uh, do you think that 
Facebook and other social media are, are training us to be less relational, less human with each other, or are we just acting the way that we would normally act, but in a virtual space? Well, I think uh, uh, that's a great question, and uh, that uh, could be a lecture in itself. I think that yes, for some people, uh, it's like, you know, I think it's whatever, a few percent of the population, it definitely uh, turns them into cyber sadists, uh, the troll, people who troll and so forth. So they would not act this way in person, but they say things online which they would never say in person. Uh, and they want to manipulate and to, to cause all these problems. Um, but I think that's a, uh, uh, an emblem of a, a kind of problem that we all face. I think we can all get uh, primed to be more emotional, to react more emotionally, all those reactions, you know, uh, and rather than reacting thoughtfully and with long-term planning. And, you know, it's like, uh, when's the last time that an article on climate change went viral? I mean, you know, I don't remember it happening when I was on Facebook. So, I mean, there are serious threats that the world is facing, and that require this um, This maybe, uh, uh, maybe it's also an emotional response, but it's a different, coming from a different place. So I think we are being primed uh, to, uh, to react to certain stimuli. And, uh, and that, but you know, I think the, the hope is that, you know, maybe by, by with some wisdom, we can retrain ourselves to, uh, to say, well, what's my intention in the world? Congratulations, Ravi. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming out and thank you for purchasing my book and also supporting this great independent bookstore. Thank you.